Hi everybody and welcome back to the Fetch Podcast. So this weekly episode, which is episode 7, I've titled The Wolf in Your Living Room. And there's times when we all look at the behaviour of our dogs and we shake our heads wondering why do they do that? And often it's due to the close genetic relationship that all domesticated dogs and wolves share. So tune into this episode where we'll list some of the amazing facts about the wolf in your living room and how much do you really know about your canine companion. This is the Fetch Podcast. My name is Damien, and if your dogs are listening, tell me what they think. So hi, everybody, and welcome back to our weekly podcast, or should I say, podcast. So just a quick shout out before we move on with this episode, just a massive thank you to everybody who has tuned in and listened to our podcast or pupcasts. I've got to get used to saying pupcasts. And we've been receiving some really good feedback, some lovely feedback from our owners, from our friends, and from people who've just generally tuned in and had a, a little bit of a listen. And it really does make me happy. And it makes me smile from ear to ear, just knowing that there are people out there who are tuning in and having a listen. So if anybody has any topics or anything they'd like to hear, um, or they'd like me to cover in our podcast, then feel free to get in touch. And I'll be happy to always do a uh, uh, a podcast based on what people would like to learn more about. So this podcast is a little bit delayed because it's been the bank holiday. And I'm not going to lie, I just have not got round to recording this podcast. Um, the, the, the weekend was quite busy. And um, one of my passions in my personal life is surfing. And here in Norfolk, we don't exactly get fantastic surf like Hawaii or Australia or South Africa, but the surf here is good. So whenever I have an opportunity and the fetch phone closes off for the day, then I tend to get out to the beach if there's an opportunity to surf. I tend to find when I'm in the water, that is when I switch off. That's when I switch off the most from work and any stresses and any worries that I have in my life, which... It's very rare that I have stresses and worries, but it's my time to unwind. So usually I would record these podcasts on a Sunday, but a little bit delayed just because I needed that little bit of downtime for myself. So episode seven, I can't believe I've already recorded six previous episodes to this and it does feel easier. It really does feel easier sitting here talking into this microphone. I remember going back to episode one which I called the unplanned dream. And I remember feeling really, really silly sitting here just talking to a microphone because I'm so used to talking to people face to face or I'm used to teaching in a group environment. So it is very alien. It's very new to me. But, you know, I've got a good outlook of life of, you know, just try different things. So what if it feels awkward? So what if it, you know, doesn't feel right straight away? Just give it a good go. And yeah, it does feel a lot more natural now as well. So this podcast, episode seven, it's titled The Wolf in Your Living Room. And this kind of stems back to when I watched a documentary of the same name quite a few years ago. I don't actually remember what year this documentary came out, but it was very old. It was very cheesy, like the music. It must have been the 70s, maybe. But it was very cheesy. It was very old. And the people in it had amazing hairstyles. You know, people had big perms. People had mullet haircuts. And um, and I remember showing 
this episode to some of my students quite a number of years ago now. And I remember them all just laughing and they were all saying, God, this is so old. This is so old. And I said, well, yeah, it's an old documentary, but the information in it is not really ever going to date. It's not ever going to age because dogs are dogs at the end of the day. And why do we work with them? Because we love them. We love them so much. And statistics show now in the UK that one in three households actually own a dog, which is a remarkable amount of dogs. <coughs> Excuse me. And last year in the UK alone, the dog industry was worth about three billion pounds. And that's not just the sale of dogs. That's everything associated with owning a dog. So that could be anything from food. That could be anything from um, people doing dog holidays because there are loads more places now are dog friendly. That comes from harnesses you can buy. You can buy bandanas. I mean, the list is endless. I could be here and do a whole podcast on that. But the dog industry is a big, big industry. And I remember when I started Fetch way back nearly five years ago now, and I thought to myself, this is going to be a slow burner. This is going to take a long time to build up and actually get many customers wanting to use our services. And wow, how wrong I was. I really underestimated it because within six months, I actually had to hire somebody to come on board and help me. And I remember her name. Her name was Kat, Kat England. And she was amazing. And she worked with me. And it was just the two of us because we really did underestimate how busy we we would get. So anyone that's listened to this, most of the time, people who listen to these type of podcasts will own a dog. And I love all types of dogs. I really do. They're all unique in nature. There's some which I have more of a personal preference towards. So a personal preference for me is I love any working breeds. I love anything that's got the intelligence to work, like sniffer dogs or gun dogs and retrieving dogs. I just love watching them work. And here in Norfolk, we have um, quite a few shows in the summer. We have the Royal Norfolk Show. We have Sandringham. We have the Aylsham Show. And usually in those shows, they actually um, do a display. And I remember going to one a few years back at the Aylsham Show, and they actually had a, a pack of beagles. And they had the guy in the, on the horse in the middle with the bugle. And he was just showing how the beagles respond to the sound of the horn and how they, you know, run alongside the horse. It was just incredible to watch. And every time I watch an animal, whether it's a dog, whether it's a parrot, whether it's a mouse, for example, my passion has always been behavior. I like to always think, why is that animal doing that? And I remember studying animal care. And one of my, one of my first actual things that I was taught was tin, uh, an element called Tinbergen's questions. And it kind of goes A, B, C, D, E, F, and so on. And Tinbergen's question kind of goes like this. The A, so starting with the A, is when you're looking at, at, a, at a creature, you have to think, A, what is the animal? So what is the actual animal you're looking at? Some some people might say, oh, that's that's a mouse. But then you have to think, well, what type of mouse is it? There's lots of different species of mice. So again, thinking a dog, someone might go, that's a dog. But then what breed of dog is it? So that's the A. The B is what is the behavior? So what do, what do you actually see going on? The C is the cause. What is the cause of the behavior? 
Okay, so what is causing the animal to behave in that way? D is development. So how has that behavior developed? Is it something that's just happened or has that behavior um, developed over time? Okay, so that's the D. The E is evolved. Has that behavior evolved over hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years? So another one of my passions is sharks. I'm a great lover of great white sharks. I would say I have everything. People might think, oh, dogs are my favorite. They are in a working sense. But also, if you think of the ocean, a great white shark is my favorite. And I had to do a study once on how has great white shark behavior evolved. And there wasn't really much you could find on it because it's such a supreme apex predator of an animal that their hunting strategies haven't really changed over hundreds and millions of years. So that's the E. And then the F is the function. So what function is that behavior for? Okay, so if you hear, for example, um, you might say for the B, oh, my dog is digging. And then if you go straight to F, what is the function? Why is that dog digging? And that's a little bit about what this podcast is actually about today. So whether you're out walking your dog or whether you're indoors with your dog, I get a lot of texts and emails uh, and just people asking me face to face. They say, Damien, my dog was doing this something, something, something last night. Why was they, why were they doing that? And I always say to them that the main thing I always go back to is their common ancestry. So dogs and wolves split from a common ancestor roughly about 35,000 years ago. And they're so close that they share the same digestive system and 99.8% of DNA. So dogs are so similar to wolves. They're not wolves. Some people say to me, oh, a husky is like a wolf. No, it's not. It's not exactly like a wolf. Just because it looks like a wolf doesn't mean it's going to act like a wolf. And one question I asked some of the animal care students once, I said to them, why could you not have a wolf as a pet? And lots of them said, oh, I'd love a wolf as a pet. That'd be such a cool pet to have. And I said, what makes it cool? They said, well, it looks ferocious and it looks really, you know, they're really cute when they're young cubs and things like that. And this was kind of brought on by um, the series, The Game of Thrones, which I've never actually watched. So sorry, Game of Thrones fans. I've never seen the series. I tried to get into it, but I just couldn't pay attention to it. So maybe I need to. Um, sit there and revisit once again. But when Game of Thrones came out, there was it's a hybrid dog in there. There's a wolf dog. And I've just watched a little bit of an episode so I could see it. And since the Game of Thrones came out and the wolf dog was actually on screen, the sale of huskies just shot up because people thought, I want a wolf dog. Now, one of the main reasons it'd be really, really difficult to own a wolf would just be because of they have such a high prey drive. And if you owned a wolf, what it would want to do, it'd want to go out and it'd want to hunt constantly. And a few years ago, I was actually really, really lucky um, before it actually closed down is I went down to Reading for the day. And there's a place down there called the UK Wolf Conservation Trust. And I got there just in time because they are actually due to close. And I mean close permanently. They were keeping open to obviously their wolves, but they were closing to the public. And what the UK Wolf Conservation Trust do is they rescue wolves that have been mistreated in captivity. 
And one of the things I was really, really privileged to be able to do was to actually go out on a wolf walk. And you had to um, like make a donation to the sanctuary. And I said to them, you know, is there a chance to come out walking with wolves? And they said, yeah, definitely. I was, I was beside myself. I was like, wow, I'm actually going to be walking with wolves. So the they weren't trainers, they were keepers, but these wolves had built a bond with these people because they were there day in, day out. And the the people said to me, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to get you to just stand in the middle of the field. And I thought, this is a bit strange. What's going to happen? They're going to unleash these wolves and use us as something like the Hunger Games. And he said to me, what we're going to do, we're going to bring three wolves out. They're all going to be on a, a long lead, like a chain lead. And there's three wolves, but there were seven handlers to them. And he said to me, what's going to happen is you're going to stand in the middle of the field. The wolves are going to come out. We're going to keep them at distance. We're going to keep them around the, the um, what am I trying to say? We're going to keep them to the perimeter of the field, right around the edge of the field. He said, and when they come out, don't look at them. Don't eye contact them because they'll feel very intimidated by that. He said, we're going to walk them around the field. We're going to let them set the pace. I thought, oh, my goodness. And I had my sunglasses on at the time. And, and the gentleman said to me, sir, would you mind taking your glasses off? And he said to me, even though you don't look at them, they like to see your eyes. And I thought, wow, this is like quite intimidating. So he walked them around this field. And every time the wolves came round us, they actually started coming in closer to us. And they never got all the way up to us. But at one point, the trainers actually stopped and they said, OK. We're going to stand here for a minute because the wolves are now accepting you into their pack. You know, they feel comfortable enough to be closer to you. He said to me, don't stroke them. Don't talk to them. He said, they're not a dog. You know, he said, these are classed as a wild animal. He said, the wolves are going to walk ahead. He said, and we walk with at their pace. And I thought, right, OK. And I thought, so the wolves are walking the humans here. It's complete polar opposite to what I do as a job of walking the dogs. And we're walking and the, the three wolves were, were walking in front of us and they were on constant alert. And what I noticed about these animals is how skittish they were, how kind of nervous and on edge they were. And obviously they would have to defend themselves if they needed to. But if there was like a stick breaking in the wind on a tree, they would quickly, you know, their eyes would be on it quickly. And, you know, their, their, their hair would go up on their back, which is known as pilo erection. Um, we call it the hackles in domesticated dogs. And then what happened is one of the one of the other wolves kind of started to go a bit further ahead. And I thought, I said to the trainer, what's that wolf doing? He said to me, this is the alpha. He said, he'll go a bit further ahead. And if he stops, we stop. So this wolf was, I don't know, 50 yards in front of us. So he was on, he was on a really long lead. And the wolf stood there and he was sniffing the air. And the other two wolves stopped, so we stopped with them. And then this alpha wolf just started howling. And the howl was an indication to the rest of us that it's safe up front. He's gone ahead. He's had a little bit of a look around. There's nothing to be worried about. Therefore, come on up. So he's given us like that vocalization. So you may notice with your dogs when you're actually out walking them, how some of them like to be out front. They like to be out front, but they'll keep looking back to you. They'll keep checking back in. Um, I have one little dog called Tilly. She's the furthest thing from a wolf you could think of. She's a little Westie who's adorable. 
And what she'll do, she'll walk ahead and she'll look and then she'll turn around and she'll bark at me. And then I start walking and she walks on again. So it's kind of like her way of saying, come on, like I'm barking, I'm telling you, let's go. And these wolves, it was just remarkable to watch them. And I, I was overwhelmed actually by the size of them. But the whole time, I learned so much just by watching those wolves and watching the way they behaved and watching the way um, they were walking and um, the way they were looking at us. And I'm the same with any dog that I meet for the first time. I will never um, hold my eye contact too much on the dog. I'll never stare straight into the dog's eyes because that can actually be that can actually be quite intimidating. So the UK Wolf Conservation Trust, it's still open but you just can't go on the wolf walks anymore. But it's well worth checking out. Look on their Facebook page and um, have a look at what they do. It's an incredible, incredible charity. Secondly, um, dogs will always revert to hunting. So if you, for example, lost your dog in the woods, you lost your pet dog in the wild, if they were left to their own devices for a short period of time, they would survive only for a very short period of time because their natural instinct would kick in to hunt, to try and feed, to survive, to try and source out water and so on and so on. And in the wild, dogs will actually form packs to hunt other animals and they'll behave just like wolves. Um, one of my favorite packs is um, African hunting dogs. And I just love watching them hunt and I love watching the strategies that they use to hunt. They actually run a little bit like a relay. So the, the one leading the charge at the front will run and run and run. It might be chasing a, a buffalo or something like that. And then the one at the back, once the one at the front then gets tired, the one at the back then comes forwards. It's, I think it's, it reminds me a little bit like the velodrome, like the cycling, how the person in the team sprint at the back then comes forwards and so on. And it's amazing to watch that. So, you know, reverting to hunting, dogs dogs will do that in the wild. And one thing that actually happened um, not long ago, and this is related to my family, is my sister owns a German shepherd um, called Bear. And she said he went off into the woods and she said he came back she she was panicking a little bit, but he came back and she said his his mouth and his scruff was covered in blood. And I thought, oh, my God, like what happened? And she said, I don't know what he'd got hold of. But she said as she'd gone into the woods, he'd found the carcass of a dead deer or a dead muntjac. And the muntjac was already dead. And Bear had obviously sniffed it out, found it. And he'd obviously been having a bit of a lick of it or eating something within it, maybe like its entrails because my sister said the rib cage was open and and she said he came back and her quote she said he looked like the american werewolf in london and she said i didn't know whether to be angry at him or i didn't know whether to cry and i said well you can't really be angry at him because he's doing what a dog would do you know he's he's found that that dead deer probably still fresh and he's thought there's a free meal here you know in his instinct kicks into right there's meat there's blood you know he's going to do that and uh, this happened before where owners have said to me my dog's got a hold of a dead squirrel and you know and they like to roll in the squirrel and and things like that as well and i've kind of said oh you know don't be alarmed this is this is why they do it as well 
Um, another thing they also do, what you may notice your dogs do is, especially in the evenings, is that they like to make somewhere nice to sleep. And have you ever noticed how your dog will spin round before they lay down? You may have noticed that. Some people, some people look at that and go, that's funny. You know, why do they do that? And there's a couple of reasons why. So a little bit like their wolf ancestors, what they're actually doing is they're preparing their ground to be as comfortable a nest as possible. So um, Arctic wolves will do it. They'll circle and circle and circle to flatten the snow down so it makes it more comfortable for them when they lay down. And some dogs, like uh, African dogs, will actually circle before they lay down because they can check for ground predators. They can see if there's any snakes. They could see if there's scorpions on the ground or anything that could potentially cause harm to them as well. Um, and you may notice that before your dog lays down, they rough up the quilt or the duvet. They sort of rough it all up. And they're just trying to create a comfortable place to lay down. Little bit, it's a bit like us humans making our beds. You know, they're just trying to create a comfortable spot for us as possible. Um, another aspect is when you come home, you know, if dogs could speak, they'd be like, you're home, you're home, you're home, you know, and you go in and they're crazy. And they, it's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? When your dog greets you at the door, if you come home from work or from an evening out and your dog is there, it's, it's just so much love they give you. And dogs will jump on us when we return home. It's a little bit like wolf pups greeting adult wolves returning from the hunt. It's kind of like the dog saying, wow, you're back from the hunt. What have you brought? Like, wow, you know, and you might notice that they jump up you, but then they sniff you a lot as well. And what would happen is in the wild, when the adult wolves come home, the wolf pups will greet them and they'll lick around the mum. And what will actually happen is it will trigger the adult wolf to regurgitate food. So what they'll do, they'll regurgitate food into the pup's mouths, which is a pretty disgusting behavior, but that's actually why they do it. And you may notice you sit down on the sofa, your dog comes up onto your lap and it's licking your face and it's licking around your mouth. It's obviously a greeting because they're happy that you're back from the hunt, even though you've been to work. Um, and, you know, it's, it's that primal wild instinct kicking in and making them think, so you're going to regurgitate some food for me? And obviously as humans, please, please, please don't do that. That'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it, if you're regurgitating your food into your into your dog's mouths. Unless you want to be completely primal in your home, that's entirely up to you. Um, another thing that dogs will do as well is urinate a lot. And what I've noticed is when dogs will go out on a walk with us, Certain dogs, I've noticed that they will actually urinate in pretty much the same spot as they'd done before. They'd pretty much urinate in the same spot every time they go out. And there's one dog that we used to walk, and his name was Barney. And Barney used to wee up this lamppost. And then, like clockwork, I used to think, he's now going to wee on that corner of that wall. And he did. And then I'd be like, he's now going to wee next to that post box. And he did. And I told the owners this and they said, wow, why does he do that? And I said, well, that's territory marking. So if you think of your dog when they're at home, your home or your house is their den. It's their dog den or their wolf den. And your neighborhood is their territory. So when they're going out and they're sniffing the urine, they're probably sniffing where another dog has previously urinated. 
And by cocking their leg or squatting to the grass and weeing over that spot, it then kind of claims that spot as theirs. It's kind of like saying, bang, there's a stamp. There's my autograph. And this this spot is mine. And they'll do that all the way around. And it's their way of marking their territory. Now, wolves, when I was at the Conservation Trust, the, the, uh, the handler said to me that wolves will patrol an area up to 30 square miles. And I said, 30 square miles? I thought, that's an insane distance. And he knew Norfolk quite well. And he said to me, it's the same as me walking from Norwich to Lowestoft every day. And I was like, that's just insane. And he said to me, that would be their territory. And if a, a rival wolf pack or a rival dog pack came into that territory, then those rival packs would probably start to fight or exhibit some form of behavior to scare the other pack off. And it, it was just remarkable again. So I, I thought, you know, that that's why dogs might possibly bark when they're in their garden. You know, you're, you're, some people say to me, my dog barks at the fence, barks and barks and barks at the fence. But there's nothing there. There's nothing on the other side. And I said, but think about it. Your dog might be able to smell what's on the other side. They might be able to hear what's on the other side, but they can't necessarily see what's on the other side. Whereas usually in the wild, their scope will be so much bigger, so much bigger. And it's their way of kind of saying, I can't see what's going on on the side of that fence. But you know what? Let's um, let's bark and bark and bark to get you out of my territory. Other things before we sort of run out of time is um, thinking about why they eat so quick. Some people say, why does my dog eat so quick? Like it makes himself sick. I said, he's not bothered about that. You know, you hear the expression, wolf your food down. And that's the expression from wild wolves, wild dogs, because in the wild, not every hunt is successful. So if there's a meal there to be had, the dogs will literally gulp it down. And what they'll actually do in the wild at times is they'll they'll wolf it down, so to speak, and then they'll regurgitate it when they're in a more quiet area and then re-eat it. And, you know, it, they're very, very opportunistic. You may have noticed dogs at home. I remember one of our old dogs called Spud and his owner, Lou, said that he got up on the kitchen table once. He'd started to eat a chicken. I think she said she was making a chicken curry or something. She said he got a chicken. And she said he was up there so quick. She said he, he ate it so quick. He didn't even swallow it. He was digesting the bone. He was eating everything through this chicken. And I said, yeah, because he don't he won't know when his next meal is coming. So, again, that's the expression of, you know, wolfing your food down comes from. That's a, a really, really um, a thing there as well. And then some dogs will actually howl or bark at certain tv stations or something on the radio and it's not because they don't like the program um one lady said to me my dog always not say sorry my uncle i remember when my uncle was when i was young he had a jack russell called harley and harley was a fearless little character he was brilliant and it was so funny because when i used to stay over at my uncle's house whenever eastenders would come on and in the opening tune of EastEnders, which is the dun, 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 whenever that came on, Harley would jump on the arm of the sofa and he would sit up on his back legs like a meerkat and he would just howl. And he would just howl for that 30 seconds of that intro of EastEnders. And my uncle said, why does he do that? And I said, well, I was young at the time. And I said, maybe he doesn't like EastEnders. 
And I thought, it's nothing to do with the actual program. There's something in that opening tune which is triggering him to make a vocalisation. You know, again, it's it's tapping into like his primal, his wild instincts. And I don't know what it was because dogs will hear at different pitch frequencies to what we can as humans. And it was just hilarious because we used to do little tests with him and my uncle used to sort of rewind it and then play it again. And it was every time without clockwork, Harley would get up and howl at the intro of EastEnders. And he'd also do it at the ending as well. Um, so... You know, lots of behaviours as to why your dog does all these quite comical things sometimes, but also very primal things as well. And the last one is why they actually roll in poo. And they don't do that to annoy you, believe it or not, even though it does annoy you. The reason they do that is because on the back of their neck, they have their scent glands. And by rolling in poo, it's a good way to disguise their scent so that or their smell so that if they're going to hunt something they can't actually be detected by the prey and it also hides their smell from other rival dogs or rival dog packs so we have some dogs who who love it that you know they will search out fox poo um we've got one golden retriever called harry and there's one field i have to avoid because if there's been cattle in there and there's a freshly laid cow pat he will find it and he'll roll in it and he'll eat it and he'll lick it, and it's just so disgusting. And it really does irritate his owner sometimes. But I said to his owner, it's nothing personal. You know, he's, he's not doing that to annoy you. But there we go. I hope that gives you a little bit of insight into this episode, The Wolf in Your Living Room. Dogs are remarkable characters, and they never cease to amaze us with the antics that they get up to. And I love hearing the stories, and, you know, it's nothing personal. So just think about it. You are living alongside a domesticated wolf. You know, the splice started 35,000 years ago, and they share 99.8% of the DNA of a wolf. So just enjoy having your little wolf in your living room, whether you have a sausage dog, it's a mini wolf. Whether you have a husky, that looks like a wolf. Their behaviors all tap back to their primal instinct. So thank you for listening to episode seven of this podcast, The Wolf in Your Living Room. This is the Fetch Pupcast. My name is Damien. And if your dogs are listening, tell me what they think.